Ladies and gentlemen, make way for your four hosts. There's Ross, a man so passionate that he could turn any airline feud into a full-blown Kardashian drama. Then there's Christos, the only one of our four hosts who actually knows anything about flying a plane. Then there's Tom, a man so loud that he can still be heard over the roar of a GE90 engine. And finally, the man with the news, and the only one who talks any sense, there's Nick. This is the Radio Runway Podcast. Thought I'd give you all an extra long entry to the uh, episode today because we are going to summarize the incredible season that we've had at Radio Runway. Unfortunately, though, we are missing two of our pivotal members, our hosts, our founding fathers. (laughs) I am just here today with the one and only Nick Figgins. How are you, Nick? I'm doing well, mate. How are you? Mate, I'm raring to go. I'm I am so excited that Ross isn't here because the sound bites that we have prepared. I cannot prepare you, all of you at home. All, look, all I'll say is... Buckle yourselves in, people. Because it's going to be a hell uh-huh. of an episode, okay? We're not going to have uh, a news this week accompanying the episode. We're also not going to have a black box as such. What we will do is we will go through the season in review. We will go episode by episode and we will we'll look at what we talked about. We'll speak about how it's evolved, how issues have developed, how situations have developed, and we'll compare now to when we spoke about this. So jumping straight in, Nick, I remember the very first episode we actually spoke a little bit about a few different issues. We spoke about Virgin joining the Sky Team Alliance. We spoke about Korean Air returning to Brisbane. We talked about how the cyclone affected Auckland Airport. And it was right around the time when Air India finalised an order of over 500 new aircraft and what that would look like for the aviation industry, which there have already, off the bat, been significant developments towards preparing for that order, haven't there? Yeah. I mean, I haven't really kept up with the Air India news since I actually announced it. Um, Korean Air still flying to Brisbane. Um, Ever since we presented that first episode, a lot's just changed in the aviation industry, I mean, it's all coming back to normal, which is good to see. When we talked about Air New Zealand, we were talking about a storm. That storm has definitely passed. I mean, if it hadn't passed, there would have been some significant issues there. We talked about Brandenburg Airport. I mean, that airport will probably conti- always be remembered as an absolute mess when it comes to construction. But yeah, a little bit of uh, good stuff in episode one. It this was our first ever episode, guys. and I'd like to think that we've come a very long way from episode one. Yeah, from when we first presented that, and we've yeah. touched on some very good topics. We uh, we did. Uh, yeah, episode one was good. We spoke also a little bit about how, with the Air India order, it would present a great opportunity for Airbus and Boeing to uh, expand their operations globally to upscale, and that's already happened. We've seen a, a factory developed and expanded in Wales to produce the wings specifically for this order because it's so large. So that is definitely a portion of 
development that's taken place. Airbus have um, hired a huge number of people there. They're also doing the exact same thing in China, upscaling their A320neo, 321neo um, production. That leads actually into episode two, which, Ross, I, I believe you really enjoyed episode two, right? This is where all the problems start, guys. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, episode two was Boeing and Airbus. And I want to say you were, you were talking about some narrow bodies. And what has changed, I guess, in the past few weeks is that the Chinese aircraft manufacturer, Comac, has finally got its C919 operating in China now. China Eastern operated it for the first time, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. That's right. It's really good to see. A third player. And it'll be interesting to see whether demand for Airbuses and Boeings decrease in China or Comac actually sees its way out of China into places, you know, in Europe, in America. It could go to Russia, given the fact that they can't order any Boeing and Airbuses no more. So it'll be very interesting to see how Comac goes. But it's good to see that, you know, the C919 is up and running. It's flying now commercially. So big tick, really. And uh, hopefully one day we'll be able to go on one. That's right. You'd assume that. <laughs> you would assume that, Ross. Thank you very much. I also want to note that the Comac, I believe, came at a cost, and that v- cost is the very thing that fuels the Boeing versus Airbus fire, which is to say that Airbus, more than Boeing, have gone all in on upscaling production in China. But the only way that that comes, uh, and obviously the, the motivation behind that, I should say, is definitely to... Um, capitalize on the huge demand in the Chinese market. Huge number of airlines, state-run or state-owned or partially state-owned airlines as well, that are looking to rejuvenate their fleet, upscale their fleet, upsize their fleet. And the only way that Airbus realistically can capitalize on that is by generating jobs, generating, like boosting the economy, bringing their business to China. And that what at what cost does that come at you know what i mean like there's no way that the comac which is now you know definitely jumped in development in the last eight months the fact that it's already got revenue services taking place with china eastern the only way that that happens is if there is information being shared and i have absolutely no doubt in the world that that will come at the detriment of to, to a huge detriment to Airbus eventually and who knows if, uh, down the track like sure okay there's order there's there's market share to be grabbed now but when the next fleet rejuvenation comes or the fleet refresh as such Airbus might not be the chosen airline because there may be a, a sort of a state back pr- production company that can fill the, fulfill those orders you know that's right yeah and one thing I want to touch on is the fact that the Airbus A320neo family is kind of uh, its success has been its own sort of downfall in the sense that you know you look at the fact that that's got a ten plus year backlog, and I think one of the solutions that Airbus has come uh, to to resolve it is to produce a larger variant of the A220 series. Now they haven't released it. There's been big speculation that Airbus will release an A22500 series, which will sit between an A319 and an A320 in terms of size. And hopefully when Airbus do release it, if they do release it, it'll take off some of the backlog from the A320 family. And that means that Airbus still get business and airlines get their new planes quicker. 
rather than having to wait 10 years. So that could be a solution for Airbus to fix their current issues at the moment with having too many orders. That's right. And I mean, Boeing have had a multitude of orders since episode one, episode two. We talked about Riyadh Air being a huge one. Here we go. Uh, I was r- <laughs> Thanks, Ross. Uh, I don't know what you heard in the news the other day. Uh, I think it was Delta that were considering a thousand aircraft. Whoa. Or was it, you know, I think it was, I think it was Delta. Uh, I'll have to fact check that. Uh, but I think it was Delta who were considering aircraft. a thousand aircraft. All with Boeing? So, Surely not all exclusively with Boeing, you know what I mean? Well, Delta over the past few years have been pretty Airbus, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they replaced the 777s with the 350s. They've got, they're replacing the 737s with the A320s family aircraft. So. Don't you find and that interesting? Delta have got the A220s as well. So. Don't you find that interesting considering that there's been um, decisions backed by the US government that have been sort of people's hands have been forced in the past when it comes to US airlines, but there's nothing been done to stop this. And what if it gets to a point where US manufacturing takes a huge hit because Boeing's order numbers go down, fulfillment goes down? So what if the US government, do you think that they would ever in any capacity step in and be like, actually, we're going to mandate that you use exclusively Boeing for the breadth of your orders from now on? Like, is that something that they can do, the US government, like for US carriers? I'm actually not too sure, but I don't think it'd ever get to that extent. I'm pretty sure if Delta were to order a thousand aircraft, I'm pretty sure there'd be Boeings in there. Mm. they wouldn't be exclusively Airbus. I mean, I'd be very surprised if they're exclusively Airbus. I'm sure there'd be some 737s in there, potentially Mm. even Dreamliners, but then Delta have decided to go for the A330 Neo. So I'm thinking, to be honest, I'm thinking more 737 Maxes or maybe 777Xs. 7 that Delta would go for. Yes. Yeah. Never anticipate something like this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, nothing's changed about the triple seven X since we first started. It's still not in production. It's still getting tested, and there's still issues with it. So exactly. yeah, we'll see how we go. Maybe maybe next season. Yeah, would there'll you, be changes. Ross, would you say that buying the triple seven X is a good idea? Wasn't an option. Oh, wasn't an option. Oh, right. It's not developed yet. Sorry, my fault. Ah, there we go. Classic, classic. Been there before. <laughs> hey, um, I do want to note also we talked about in episode two. The great debate between in the great debate between Boeing and Airbus, where Qantas stood in there with their new order for the A220s at the time, Project Sunrise going forward. Now we're seeing, after the fact, finally the 717s officially being announced as being phased out. We knew it was happening. You know, one of the 717s had already made its way to um, to the the Mojave Desert, and and the rest of them are now slowly going to phase out. Still haven't received the first A220 with Qantas, have we? Since that episode, no. we have had a new CEO come in with Qantas. Um, she hasn't really been there to announce anything per se other than the, the A220s. Oh, actually, that's not true. We'll speak about it later in the episode when we're reflecting on um, airport month. But WSI, there's something, there's something there to talk about. So yeah. uh, moving on to episode three. Episode three, you remember we talked about fair prices and and the pandemonium that was going on post-pandemic where there were capacity restriction issues forced upon the consumer by the airlines. It drove prices up. You did a great piece on that. 
Has that evolved since we spoke about it uh, earlier in the year in March? I think it will evolve. I don't think it's significantly evolved right now. But obviously, if we look at the new... Let's let's talk specifically Australia here because there's so much going on globally. It would take me forever to go through every single bit. Mm. But even if we look in Australia, I think that there's going to be fair prices that are dropped. We looked a couple of episodes ago about Qantas boosting its international capacity. So that's a good thing. And in that obviously included the fact that they're going to wet lease to Finnair A330s. Mm. So if we increase capacity the price should drop and the demand's definitely there. And I think the big thing for me is that Rex are increasing their footprint around Australia. They're increasing capacity into Adelaide. Last week, they mentioned that they were going to be going down to Hobart. That's right. So the more airlines you have on a route, it forces competition, which brings down the fare price. As we know, I haven't really been keeping up to date with the latest news in terms of oil prices, but I do believe that that's going to be dropping or has been dropping already. So if the oil prices drop, we'll start to see some fares drop, but I don't think we've seen anything significant from episode three to now, but I do have hope that we will start to see fares start to go back down to pre-pandemic level. I still think it'll take a few years, but we'll start to see some significant changes, hopefully by the end of the year. Yes, hopefully by the end of the year, I agree. And it's um, talking about Rex as well, isn't it interesting seeing that upscale take place? You think anyone would have predicted at the start that they would go that their fare options would move intentionally away from regional towards metropolitan routes, major eastern seaboard routes? Because it's funny, they announced that they were getting the 7.3s and, and people thought, okay, obviously still majority of regional carrier that's still primarily their business model. They're just throwing a few 737s into the mix. You know, there's a, there's a few sort of, there's a few airports that fall between regional and, um, you know, um, metropolitan sort of le- like size-wise and, and those 737s can meet the demand. But now a direct explicit move away from some regional routes towards major hubs. Do you think that that's the future for Rex? And do you think that that's something people should have predicted to begin with? I don't think so. I think Rex will continue to grow from capital city to capital city. I don't think they will stop in terms of their regional side of the business. Uh, I think there'll be more growth from capital city to capital city. Uh, Hopefully, we see Rex one day going to Perth. Mm. I do see that happening. Um, But I think think there's just more people traveling from city to city, right? Than yeah. from city to regional towns, yeah, yeah, well, and I, mean, I think yeah. Rex will continue to buy more old seven three sevens for the time being. Maybe when they start to make a a bit more money, they can afford sort of brand new aircraft. Whether they go for the Max, they probably will go for the Max. To be honest, they operate the seven three sevens or the A three twenty family or an A two twenty even. Um, we'll see how Rex goes though. I'm pretty happy with Rex and how they're how they're going. And also, I've got to mention Bonza which at the time of recording now, Bonza are now flying to everywhere where they initially said that they were going to fly. So I think they said 39 destinations originally, and now they're flying to 39 destinations. Or maybe not 39, but they're flying to all the destinations they said that they're going to fly from In Melbourne, original, Sunshine yeah, Coast, Tamworth, uh, Prozapine, Byron, 
uh, Byron Bay, I think. Yeah, they yeah. fly Byron Bay. Yeah, they fly Mildura, Mildura, they fly Mildura. It's good to see Bond to grow as well. Yeah, that, that also helps. So they have five and aircraft now. They have five aircraft. They'll continue to grow. I think they've got another ten. That's probably amazing. a little bit more than ten to come. Uh, they were talking about getting the Max Eight Two Hundreds to come down here, which are obviously, as we know, the exclusive Ryanair ones. Yeah, uh, not for much longer though. The Ryanair ones, that's right. Yeah, but uh, it's great to see that airline grow. And from what I've heard, very good reviews and very good prices. Yeah, yeah, um, and. I totally agree with your point about competition being good for the Australian market and hopefully Rex can begin to be a disruptor as much as Bonza intended to be. Obviously, Bonza doesn't have the scale yet, but Rex is getting there, you know, because right now it's a two-player game. Well, it's a... Look. Yeah, it's a two-player game because Qantas obviously isn't going for going for a competitive fair price for the average consumer. That's Jetstar. So it's a two-player game because it's Virgin and Jetstar, essentially. The business mm-hmm. market, mm-hmm. there is no realistic competitor in Australia, and I don't think that there will be for a long time. No, no, I don't think there will be a full-service carrier. I mean, Virgin tried that, uh, and they failed for a long time. I think it was COVID, really, that put the nail in the coffin for them as a full-service carrier, but now they've come out all guns blazing as a LCC, and they're to doing very well. To they're yeah. putting the fight up to Jetstar, and yeah. I say that Virgin are going to stay for a very long time quite like Rex, quite like Bonza. So I think the landscape of aviation in Australia in terms of airlines is going to remain unchanged for a little while now. So yeah, I agree. That's obviously good to see. Now, episode four was a special one for us because we had a first officer on our show. First officer, Mitch Hutchison. He's a brilliant mind to pick. Christos, Mm -hmm. he had many aneurysms. This is a really touchy subject. I don't think it is, Christos. I think that you were excited, weren't you? Very excited. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. It was good. We spoke. I learned a lot about turbulence that day. I learned specifically about mountain waves. Didn't really know much about that. I was like, I, mm. I, I, did, I mean, it makes sense now why the Queenstown approach pattern is considered to be so, um, so treacherous, so difficult. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. Well, episode four was more for the people listening, to be honest. And we hope that you learned something a little bit from episode four. If you are afraid of flying, uh, you shouldn't have to be. It's a very safe form of flying. But obviously, it's great to have Mitch in the studio to talk about, you know, not only ways to combat your fear of flying, but just life as a pilot, really. Uh, obviously, me, Tom, and Ross, well, the majority of the panel aren't pilots. We want to focus on more the operational side of aviation, whether it be airports or airlines. So having a perspective from a pilot, which is a completely different perspective, is always good to see, you know, life on the other side of the fence. That's right. So it was really good having Mitch on. Yeah, and, I think um, Chris Doss was, was, he was jealous. Oh, a lot of us were jealous, really. You're talking about his his time as a second officer at Cathay Pacific. Um, yeah, yeah. He just has a breadth of experience to draw from. He's still adamant. He's still adamant that seven three seven outruns the three twenty any day of the week. Now, I, I do want to note on that one. Stay tuned for season two because we've got some big things coming. Um, and and yep. especially in the space of having pilots as special guests, we intend to have 
someone speak to the other the other side of the duopoly, a man who's proficient in the 320 family, and uh, we, ha- we intend to have him defend the 320's honour, and then we intend eventually to cap it off with the ultimate uh, climax. The ultimate the, duel. The ultimate duel. The duel. The yeah. ultimate jewel of Changi. Um, <laughs> and it, we, we, oh, I know, it was awful. Sorry, I take that back. We're going to have them go head to head. We're going to have them talk to each of the uh, type ratings in a fierce debate, and we'll see who comes out of top. Now, I would say Christos would be the judge, but I think he'd become too involved in it. So we'll have to work out how that'll all work. Uh, so that, yeah, we'll put that up was, an Instagram poll. Yes. You guys listen to it. We'll put up an Instagram poll. You say 737 versus A320, whatever you guys say will be the definitive answer. The definitive answer. Yes, I like it. That's a good idea. We'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Episode five. Now, this one held a special place in the hearts of all of the hosts because it was a a very deep topic full of both sensitive and intriguing uh, points of conversation. Christos really, really enjoyed it. He got into it. I do need to be careful in what I say here. They're highly likely, everyone listening at home, fact check this. They're, all of those sound bites are from that episode. Christos went absolutely ham. He's a little bit suspicious. It is suspicious how ham he went. But um, he was a great host. And, and I think that the way in which the three of you spoke about it was a great eye-opener to me just how many people it affected, just how it affected the aviation industry, how technology in um, in many different forms or process, safety processes have been, have been well-informed and developed based off of this event, and just how crazy it is that we still know little to nothing about what has truly happened to Malaysia Airlines 370. It is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's honestly crazy. It's sad to say that nothing's really changed since we filmed that episode and now. Um, or hopefully one day we'll call on another rescue and we'll be able to find it eventually. There's a lot of theories out there, as we mentioned. With MH370, we said what we thought our best sort of estimated theories are. It's a good episode to talk about MH370 and um, don't let that put you offline, though. I'll mm. say that. That that's literally the first time something like that has happened and hopefully the only time something like that will ever happen. All I can say is, you know, our thoughts and prayers still go out to those families and hopefully one day we'll be able to find your loved ones and find out what truly did happen to MH370. But, you know, for now we can only do the same as we did in episode five and just make, I guess, educated guesses in terms of what went wrong and not watch Netflix because that was a terrible documentary, to be honest. Yeah, it was. Episode two was a giant conspiracy theory in a bottle. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, episode three as well, to be honest. Episode one was all right, but episode two and three were, yeah. Yeah. You know. I'm all for conspiracy theories as long as it doesn't convolute what um, the, the facts of how an aircraft is physically operated, how an aircraft works. Um, and how the procedures put in place either failed or worked as intended. So um, if any of those are in any way diluted with speculation, then it 
it's hard to follow. Look, that was episode five. Episode six, we spoke about Ansett Airlines. Mm. Used to be an Australian icon. It fell, had a fall from grace. Uh, we basically covered the the history of Ansett and, and the collapse more specifically in great detail. Um, Ansett, for a lot of people our parents' age, you know, from age, say, 45 and older, were direct, um, they were sort of the consumers of, uh, of Ansett, you know. They were around at its peak uh, in the 90s and they were there for the fall in the late 90s, early 2000s. And some, some people out there today... Um, we'll remember all the way back to when they were flying, you know, Vickers Viscounts and the DC-3s. One thing I will say that I didn't realise, but I had a great conversation with my dad after the the Ansett Black Box. Shout out Scott Conway, the official fact checker of the podcast. Um, chat Scott. Chat, yeah, that's right. Is <laughs> chat, chat Scott, chat GPT, chat Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same uh, thing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, look. I had a great conversation with him. He noted that the two Marks that we spoke about, Mark Corder and Mark Mentha of Anderson, which were a part of the auditing firm that had the contract for dissolving or, um, sorry, administrating uh, the bankruptcy of Ansett, that was their, that was their swan song. That was their, um, their resume. They went on to start their own auditing and finance firm called Corder and Mentha. Their two last names, the two Marks. I think, I think Mark Squared would have been way better for a name. Anyway, they exist. They have, you know, a multi-story, you know, office complex in the Melbourne CBD. They do high-level auditing work, government contracts, you know, third-party contracts, the works. They do that stuff, and they that whole firm was set up on the fo- footing and on the groundwork of the answer collapse and how they handle that and how they went about turning it around. And something that I have had great conversations with you and Ross and, um, and a lot of people about uh, post this black box episode is about how it's really hard across the industry to translate someone's true passion and uh, creativity for a business that got that business at start and made it so impactful on whatever industry it is in, once they leave and having someone who's only good at business and isn't good at understanding how a particular business works, come in and try and go, I'm going to profit off of this. They run the business how they believe is a standard way to practice said business. And that's exactly what happened with Lynn Fox or with Lindsay Fox who came in with uh, Solomon Liu to try and restart Ansett is they just didn't have that spark, that ruthless nature that Reginald Ansett had before he died. And the same thing has happened across so many industries. There have been businesses that have gone belly up because the the original person has either sold or died or is no longer part of the business and it's just gone sideways because the new people in charge at the top don't know realistically what made that business special. A contentious non-aviation related example, George Lucas leaving Lucasfilm. Mm. I was it's funny you say that, not George Lucas. When you were, when you were talking about 
people running a business that don't know how to run that specific business, I was actually thinking of Boeing. Oh, really? I was thinking of, yeah, I was thinking of when McDonnell Douglas merged with Boeing and what happened there. They let accountants basically run an engineering firm and we saw what happened to Boeing. They did a lot of cost cutting. They outsourced a lot of stuff and obviously they... The brand of Boeing, which sort of resonated with engineering excellence and quality, that sort of faded away. Mm. We saw that with the Dreamliner, especially with the 737 Max, the 777X. Yeah. I mean, none of their their current projects are going astoundingly well, if you know what I mean. Not like Airbus is. Like, you know, if you asked me 20 years ago, what's the better plane manufacturer airbus or boeing i would have said boeing i think most people would have said boeing as well to be honest but now you ask me and i say airbus this is really linking back to episode two obviously that whole debate of airbus versus boeing but with boeing their issue is management and they've got to stop looking exclusively at dollars and cents and at share prices and they've just got to start building good aircraft again to be honest and they do have the capability to do that and i'm not saying that boeing aren't making good aircraft they are making good aircraft but you know they got to stop cost cost cutting so much you know because it's really showing it is is really showing in their current yeah, exactly. Already three policemen have been killed. Exactly. So it needs to stop now because it can only get worse. <laughs> I want to say it, it is really valuable that you said that because that is a perfect example. And we saw that mm. in the, in that um, Boeing documentary. McDonald yeah. McDonnell Douglas yeah. really undercutting what made Boeing Boeing. And exactly. look where it's got them. Look where it's got them. I would say that... Exactly. I'd say that McDonnell Douglas is um, is Lindsay Fox, you know, same exact thing in um, that merger. So, mate, that yeah, really, really good analogy. We moved from episode six to episode seven, which was the beginning of Airport Month. You are sadly predisposed for this episode. So I was I. You're actually at a good point to yeah. You're a good point to um, talk about it actually because you know you reacted to it. So what did you think? What are your takeaways? I thought it was very good. I thought it was. It's a very interesting airport to talk about. I think it's a very. It has a very dark history, Tokyo Narita. Obviously, we talked about the Sarizuka struggle, the sort of civil issues between the farmers and the government of actually building that airport and how Ross said that that airport was the reason as to why all Japanese airports nowadays are built out at sea and not on land. Because if another Japanese airport was built on land, the same issue would happen again between landowners and the government. And I think the most interesting thing about Tokyo Narita Airport is the, I think it's, it's, I think it's runway B. Yeah. You got you to fact check me on this, but the taxiway layout is so interesting how it sort of navigates around the different farms that are still there because the owners still refuse to sell their land. Like imagine living in the middle of a busy international airport. 
I you're a farmer, just you know, yeah, still growing crops, still selling to the markets. You know, it's it's crazy. I can't um, wait to land. I I'm can't just, wait to land at Narita Airport um, on Wednesday night. Sorry for people context. We're all going on holidays to Europe. I'm the first of the of the three of four of us to go. Christos is being a good boy. He's diligently going to continue his um, PPL or CPL studies. Sorry. But I am going to land at Narita Airport and I'm going to go past the petting zoo out the window, you know, see all the, the crop and the, and the livestock as I taxi off the runway. So random. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. No, I'm uh, Seeing all the photos and videos of you landing. Yes. And no, you're going you're gonna to have a good time, man. You're going to have a good time. Uh, well, yeah, as you said, we're all going to... Europe, Tom's exactly. going first, Ross is going in a few weeks, and then exactly, I'm going Nick. in about a month. Yeah. So, yeah. It should be good. Mm. Exactly, Nick. And Thanks, Ross. Yeah. Yes, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> should we cap it off with episode eight? I'm actually getting pissed off at Nick now. <laughs> oh, oh Ross. Ross. You can yeah. never get pissed off at me. Yeah, I'm exactly. too lovable of a character. Wasn't an option. <laughs> Yes, and now we finished Airport Month off with the grounds of Czech Lapcock. Now, this one was a special episode. It was close to your heart, wasn't it, Nick? Because you had your old man on board with us, and I learnt so much that night. Seriously. It's close to my heart. It's close to his heart. I mean, you know, uh, Hong Kong means a lot to me. It's uh, I was born there. I'm half from there, so that city is home to me. And that airport is really where my passion for aviation grew because i mean i remember going to the airport all the time as a little kid you know i had family in the uk so we'd go to the uk quite often we go through the airport to go on holiday because hong kong's obviously a very small place you get bored there very quickly so you go on holiday to different parts of asia you know you go down to sort of thailand indonesia you know different parts of asia there's so much of asia to see but yeah Obviously, going around that airport all the time, having dad working there really sparked my passion for aviation. So, it was really good to talk about, I guess, my favorite airport in the world. Um, on paper, though, there are better airports in the world. I'm currently in Singapore at the oh. moment. Right now, I'm speaking from Singapore, and I believe that Changi is honestly the best airport in the world. Like, there is nothing that beats it on paper, but obviously, emotionally, I still... Love Hong Kong. What as about an airport, Barra but- Airport, mate? Barra. If we're talking Barra? about Barra, yeah, Barra Airport. That's the best airport in the world. You land on a beach, mate. There's no runway. They have wooden po- wooden pegs in the stand to line out the runway, and it disappears for four hours of the day when the tide comes in. That that is truly the best airport. <laughs> I can't have ever flown in there. It's but in Scotland, but I one day, say, one day, when I fly to Barra, one day. It will officially be my favorite airport in the world. Mark my words. <laughs> it doesn't have a jewel, uh, though, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, look, it was a, it's, it's a fascinating airport to hear about. I mean, I know when I first heard about how that airport was created in eight years and how it was all on reclaimed land, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I was there last week, and like the airport side is huge and the terminal is absolutely enormous. And they built this new sky bridge linking the main terminal and the North satellite concourse. And believe me that that thing is an attraction in itself. Like there's a 
bit of section on the bridge where the floor is glass. And I was literally standing on the glass floor as a Singapore Airlines A350 was taxiing below me. Oh, and my that was honestly gosh. Be one of the most surreal feelings standing on top of an aircraft. Like, very excited. They're standing next to an aircraft, they're standing below an aircraft, but then they're standing on top of an aircraft, which is just oh surreal. My gosh. Dude. But, Ugh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Well, you could go through Hong Kong when you go, when you go between Tokyo and Europe, because obviously you're going to Tokyo in a few days. But obviously, oh. Tom hasn't yet figured out how he's getting to Europe from Tokyo. That's right. He could go through Hong Kong. He could go through. Did you say Abu Dhabi? You could go through yes, Doha. So I know because it's you- because it's uh, you know six and a half weeks away. I am yet to make my decision. I don't know if maybe I've left it too late. Who knows? But we will see. Nah, you never left. We'll see. I'm yet to decide. It could be anything. But yes, going to be heading off uh, on Etihad Airways from Tokyo across to Paris via Abu Dhabi. And that one will be in business class. Uh, must be nice. Must be very must nice. Be it nice. is. It's one on the 7.8 and one on the 7.7. I'm more looking forward to the 7.7. I think that business class is a little bit more refurbished. Um, but yes. No, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. So that, that is our season, ladies and gentlemen. I really hope that you've enjoyed it. I really hope that we've uh, had you stay along for the ride through whenever you picked up through to now. We have a lot to bring to you in season two, which will come after the hiatus of our European trips. Um, mm. it's, been a busy, it's been a busy last it's been a busy tail end to the season for all of us as you can tell because there's been a missing member of us for a few of the episodes here and there but at the end of the day throughout it all we've endeavoured to bring you uh, content that is engaging content that you enjoy and even if you're a non-av geek or you're a non-aviation enjoyer or well, subscriber I should say I hope that you still found a lot of what we talked about interesting because we certainly do and I believe it belongs to not just the aviation community, it belongs to a broader audience. So You put it very well there, Tom. Thank so you. I've got to say, yeah, thank you for everyone for tuning in. Get keen for next ep- uh, next season. Sorry, not next episode. Um, obviously, I'm very much looking forward to the A320 first officer put up against Mitch. I'm looking forward to that battle. Yeah, I don't think anyone on this podcast, anyone that's listening to this podcast, realizes the caliber of not just knowledge, but the caliber of, let's just say personality, that this man is going to bring to the podcast. Oh, (laughs) Mitch, mate, if you're listening to this, I hope you have prepared yourself because he don't mess around this guy. He's, He's coming to play. So uh yeah it's it'll be really good and uh, and and also um you know what let's also in our review go through the winners and losers of the season and by the season I mean each week's game show shall we go through I think there is absolutely no doubt in my mind as to who's won the most uh who's won the season 1 championship shall we say Nick yeah 
I, I've, I've won it. Yes, thank I'm you. Aware. <laughs> yes, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, I think your knowledge of regos has shocked even those who th- who thought themselves a registration enthusiast or enjoyer. I think even them, even they have been blown out of the water by your knowledge of registration. So congratulations to you. Second place. Oh, thank you. Second place actually falls, I believe, to Christos. Really. Yeah, because okay. he equaled with me on the guess the aircraft game. And, yeah. And then, well, you know what? No, I think he's he might be equal second with me currently waiting for his final round. We haven't done the, the split round. He's going to he's gonna take on you, actually. He's going to take on me. So we're going to leave that to next episode. Unfortunately, Christos isn't here today. It'll be a Obviously, good neither is Ross. I also got to say, big shout out to Alex. Big shout out to Alex. We didn't mention, but in episode seven, he filled in. He was a great guest and he nailed the game show. He I guessed Singapore Airlines that. in literally two guesses. Or was it the first guess? It was the first guess, which I'm so annoyed about because I got mine, I got four pointer and I actually really tried. I really just pushed it out. And I was so, you know the what? The sad thing is, you didn't do too bad, Tom. You did really well. Thank you. But Alex, he just, he just had a real good guess and he got it. That's right. So, that's yeah. right. I'll see you in Europe, Alex. In Europe? We'll be seeing him in London. Yes. I'll be seeing him in London with Ross. So, going to be good stuff. And and Ross comes stone cold last. Is, is that what you're trying to say, Tom? Ross does come stone cold last. And Ross, I'm sure you're happy about it, aren't you? You. you you're happy to know that you've come last. I'm actually getting pissed off at Nick now. Why? Nick hasn't done anything. <laughs> all all Nick has done is turned up. This is where all the problems start, guys. What, for us or for you? Something had to be done about this. Yeah. Well, we're trying to do something about it. Nick? <laughs> oh, goodness me. I actually think I came second because I, I won last week and I came equal first with Christos in the first uh, rendition of Guess the Airline. So I think I've won two rounds. Christos has won one. Ross has won one, and Nick has won the rest. Yeah. See, because for losing for Nick, losing to Nick, losing wasn't an option. That's right. Uh, Stone Cold, you're too kind. Stone Cold Killer. We'll see how we go. Uh, we'll see how we go next episode or next season. I keep saying next episode. No, here why. we go. Technically, it is next episode, though, right? I'm not wrong. That. But uh, and also, I want to say that next season hopefully we'll get our sponsor on to do a special episode with us at Collectors Aircraft Models Australia. Yeah, and Playbook. Tom, who is the owner of that glorious business, he has said that he can take me on in an episode of Rego Roulette. To clarify, and take me it's to a different cleaners. Tom. It's a different Tom. Yeah, not nah, not Tom Conway, not, not host Tom. We're talking about Camost, Tom. He says that he can take me to the cleaners on Rego Roulette. So Everyone bring it on, Tom. I'm looking check- forward to it next season. Tom thinks he can beat you. Everyone listening at home, fact check this. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> he does get a few planes through his shop, though. So he probably does know his Rego very well. we'll nah, look, Tom, mate, I hope you bring your A game because Nick is he's sleeping. He's sleeping on you, bro. So, you never know. It could happen. So, uh, look, that is a good place to wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed our review of the season. Um, it's been great to be along 
with you, Nick and Ross and Christos for the ride of this season. Season two, there will be a date for the first episode. I suggest you keep an eye on our Instagram for that. But we'll mm-hmm. also we'll also have a two to three minute trailer for season two as well. Oh no! We'll put out on the Spotify and the Apple and the Apple Music and the Amazon Music. You know, all anywhere you want to get your podcasts, you can go. Google was it Google Audio Library or whatever it's called. You can go there and you can listen to the Radio Runway podcast, and we'll see you probably in August. I'm going to say. Yep, I would say that. But until then, keep safe and try not to miss us too much. That's right. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Thank you for listening and sticking with us for the season. And I really hope that you all have a wonderful two months without the Radio Runway podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.